Name's the, my name is Martin, I'm the pastor at Doyleson Baptist Church and it's great to meet new people as well as they uh, hear what's going on here via digital medium. Psalm 46 verse 1 says, God is our refuge and strength and ever-present help in trouble. And that applies to us so much right now as this virus spreads throughout our country and throughout the world. We need to know that we have somewhere, a place, a person who is our anchor, who's with us and who will help us. Let's pray. Father God, thank you for the opportunity to be together. And thank you so much, Father, that we are part of your kingdom and part of your church and that the church is so much bigger than just a small group of people meeting in one place, but we are everywhere around the world. Thank you, Father, that you've put us into that great organism, that living body, the body of Christ. Father, I pray for a fresh infilling of your spirit because it's my desire to be able to speak spirit-filled words and that we might effectively minister to one another as we examine your word together this morning. And Lord God, I would pray for those that are feeling anxious and nervous, unwell. I ask, Father, for your blessing for each one. May they know your presence. May they know your healing power. I pray, Father, that you'll bring peace and quietness and hit your heart as people put their faith in Jesus, their Saviour and their Lord. For it's in his name that we pray this morning. Amen. We've been... Uh, preaching a Bible series here at Doyleson and working our way through the prison experiences of the Bible and how amazing it is that all those prison experiences and all the things we've been talking about in the past so far have been so incredibly relevant for this time and I didn't know that this virus was coming but the message has been relevant all the way through so this morning I want to read to you from the book of Acts Acts chapter 12 verses 1 to 19. Acts 12 verses 1 to 19. It's about uh, Peter's miraculous escape from prison. Listen to what the word of God says. It was about this time that King Herod arrested some who belonged to the church, intending to persecute them. He had James, the brother of John, put to death with the sword. When he saw that this pleased the Jews, he proceeded to seize Peter also. This happened during the Feast of Unleavened Bread. After arresting him, he put him in prison, handing him over to be guarded by four squads of four soldiers each. Herod intended to bring him out for public trial after the Passover. So Peter was kept in prison, but the church was earnestly praying to God for him. The night before Herod was to bring him to trial, Peter was sleeping between two soldiers, bound with two chains, and sentries stood guard at the entrance. Suddenly an angel of the Lord appeared, and a light shone in the cell. He struck Peter on the side and woke him up. Quick, get up, he said, and the chains fell off Peter's wrists. Then the angel said to him, put on your clothes and sandals, and Peter did so. Wrap your cloak around you and follow me, the angel told him. Peter followed him out of the prison, but he had no idea what, that, the, that what the angel was doing was really happening. He thought he was seeing a vision. They passed the first and second guards and came to the iron gate leading to the city. It opened for them by itself, and they went through it. When they had walked the length of one street, suddenly the angel left him. Then Peter came to himself, and he said, Now I know, without a doubt, that the Lord sent his angel and rescued me from Herod's clutches and from everything the Jewish people were anticipating. 
When this had dawned on him, he went to the house of Mary, the mother of John, also called Mark, where many people had gathered and were praying. Peter knocked at the outer entrance, and a servant girl named Rhoda came to answer the door. When she recognized Peter's voice, she was overjoyed. She ran back without opening it and exclaimed, Peter is at the door. You're out of the old mind, they told her. When she kept on insisting that, he was, that it was so, they said, it must be his angel. But Peter kept on knocking, and when they opened the door and saw him, they were astonished. Peter motioned with his hand for them to be quiet and described how the Lord had brought him out of prison. Tell James and the brothers about this, he said, and then he left for another place. In the morning, there was no small commotion among the soldiers as to what had become of Peter. After Herod had a thorough search made for him and did not find him, he cross-examined the guards and ordered that they be executed. This is the word of the Lord. Well, what an amazing passage of scripture. It's interesting that in, in the early days, the church witnessed the power of God moving in miraculous ways. 3,000 people were saved on one occasion. 5,000 people were saved on another occasion. And, and the early church was marked by the manifest presence and power of God. He was on them to such a degree that everyone was filled with awe. Or as it says in the old version, fear came upon every soul. Well, we know that fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, isn't it? And that's exactly what was happening. God's power, God's presence also produced incredible peace and harmony within the church. They were all working together. They were meeting together. Some even sold their property that they had and brought it to the apostles so there'd be enough finance for the working of the kingdom. And people were being saved on a daily basis. The people were excited. They were busy. They were holy. God was working. And his power was felt by saint and sinner alike. The church was growing. God was glorified. Jesus was being preached and sinners were being saved. What a great time to be part of the local church. But not everyone was pleased. The Jews, well, when you read about the Jews in Scripture, it's usually the Jewish leaders that they're talking about. These Jews, they, they hated the early church because the church said that Jesus was the Messiah. And they didn't want to hear that story. Remember why they crucified Jesus? He claimed to be the Son of God. They couldn't accept that. The church said that Jesus had been killed by the Jews, and most amazing of all, they even claimed that he'd risen from the dead. And the Jews, they hated the message of the gospel. And many Jews were turning from Judaism to follow what they called the way in the book of Acts, following after the way of Jesus. And it wasn't long before the church came under fire from its enemies. So the Jewish leaders, they, they, they tried arresting the apostles and forbid, forbidding them to preach. That didn't work. So they arrested Stephen and they had, him, they had him stoned to death in an effort to stem the growth of the church. Well, that failed to achieve the desired results as well. The Jews continued in their efforts to try and stop the spread of the gospel of their Lord Jesus Christ. They used hired guns. Saul of Tarsus was their hired gun. He became a Christian. How good is that? It's interesting, though, that the, the saints of God, they, they were scattered to the four corners of the globe, you know, if you have corners on a globe, but you know what I mean. And still the church continued to grow, it continued to prosper. And that brings us to, to this passage of Scripture today, because Herod is seeking, seeking to curry favour with the Jews. He arrested James, the brother of John, and had him executed. 
and he saw that that pleased the Jewish leaders. So he arrested Peter and he planned to kill him too. And so this passage opens with the Apostle James dead, the Apostle Peter in prison, and surely about to be put to death. And in this particular prison experience, God flexes his muscles in some amazing ways and gives his servants a great victory. So by way of introduction, let me, let me point out to you that Peter arrived in this prison through no fault of his own. He was living right. He was walking with God. He was doing the best he could do. He was preaching Jesus. He was honouring the Lord and still trouble came his way. And I think there's always a lesson for us here as well. We must never get the idea that a good godly life is a hedge against troubles. Troubles will come. Sometimes the closer one lives to Jesus, the more a person suffers for Jesus. If you look in the Old Testament, consider Job. Job was a clean, holy and good man by God's own estimation. And he was doing his best to serve the Lord and to live for God and still trouble came his way. Trials marked the lives of David, Paul, Elijah, even the Lord Jesus. He was known as a man of sorrows. Trouble came his way. If Jesus suffered trials and setbacks in life, well, we should expect no better treatment ourselves. I think the Bible's pretty clear on this matter. Every person who comes into the world is going to experience troubles and trials. Job put it this way, he says, man is born to trouble as surely as sparks fly upwards. That's a very succinct way of putting it, isn't it? Life's going to be difficult. And those people who are living for the Lord are going to have their trials too. Jesus put it this way, he says, I have told you these things so that in me you may have peace. Where do we have our peace, brothers and sisters? We have our peace in Jesus. He says, in this world you'll have trouble, but take heart, I have overcome the world. So the fact is that everyone who wants to live a godly life in Christ is going to be persecuted. And Peter discovered this when he was thrown into Herod's prison. But it was in that prison experience that Peter experiences the great power of God in some wonderful ways. So I want to look at that very closely today because we need this kind of teaching. Because what happens very shortly, our government is going to shut many more things down. And we're going to find ourselves, where imprisoned in our own homes. I watched the news last night and the police minister is getting upset because people aren't obeying social distance at the beach. So beaches are going to be shut down. I was thinking, oh, well, great, we'll go camping. I think the camping areas are going to be shut down too. Be careful. Well, these things are going to happen. So we're going to find ourselves imprisoned in one way or another. Might be home detention, but that's the way it's going to be. So let's, let's look how God's power is seen in his peace. Have a look at, at uh, verse 6 of today's reading from, uh, from Acts chapter 12, verse 6. It's fascinating. The night before Herod was to bring Peter to trial, Peter was sleeping between two soldiers bound with two chains and sentries stood guard at the entrance. That's amazing. He isn't praying for his deliverance. He's not writing his last will and testament. He's not crying and screaming and begging for mercy. The night before he's about to die, Peter is sleeping like a log between two soldiers. It doesn't sound comfy to me. Does it sound comfy to you? I don't know if you can sleep in those circumstances, but he was. He slept through it all. In fact, the angel coming in, he slept through that too, and the angel had to give him a whack on the side to wake him up. 
He might have been chained between two soldiers, but he was sound asleep without a care in the world. God had given Peter that peace that passes all understanding. And this wasn't the first time, by the way, that Peter had been in jail. He'd already been delivered in, in the book of Acts, in, in Acts chapter 519, by an angel of the Lord. So maybe Peter was thinking like, ah, oh, well, no problems. It happened last time. God will sort it out again. By the way, if you are saved, you are actually already delivered from the worst prison of all. God has delivered you from sin. He's delivered you from judgment. He's delivered you from hell. That has already happened. And if he can deliver a sinner from that prison, well, I think that any other kind of prison is going to be a pushover, isn't it? But it just imagine the scene for a moment. This is amazing to see this kind of peace. Peter fast asleep. Now, sadly, few people in the church actually have that kind of peace in their lives. Sometimes it seems that the least little thing will come along and send us reeling into fear, panic and worry. It happens, doesn't it, if we're honest? But God has a better plan. He desires to give his children peace. Listen to what Jesus says in John chapter 14, verse 27. He says, peace I leave with you. My peace I give you. I do not give to you as the world gives. Do not let your hearts be troubled and do not be afraid. These are times that we are living in when our hearts are not to be troubled and we are not to be fearsome. Feared, fearing it at all. How wonderful that is. The Apostle Paul puts it differently. He says, look, do it like this. This is Philippians 4, verses 6 and 7. He says, Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your requests to God, and the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. So the question is, do you have that kind of peace in your heart today? Peace that transcends all understanding. It's on offer for each one of us. And that brand of peace is on display in the word of God. Do you remember the three Hebrew children in the fiery furnace? They went in there, Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego. And there was another one in there, the angel of the Lord. Daniel had it in the lion's den. And you and I can have it as well. Thank God for his peace. So not only is God's power seen in his peace, but also God's power is seen in his presence. And that's the next point I want to talk about. In, uh, in uh, Acts chapter 12, verse 7, Suddenly an angel of the Lord appeared and a light shone in the cell. So as Peter lay there sleeping, the angel of the Lord came through, through into that very cell. The bars, the locks, the guards, they couldn't keep him out. These things are no barrier to God. He came right in and he did as he pleased. He meant to come to Peter and nothing was able to stop him. So when we find ourselves, brothers and sisters, when we find ourselves in a prison of despair and trials, we need never fear being there alone. Now, even if this virus continues and we're confined to our houses, we are never alone. Our Lord has promised us that he would always be with us and he meant every word he said. He says, never will I leave you, never will I forsake you. That's founded on the word of God. That's the Lord speaking to us. He says, surely I'm with you always to the very end of the age. He says, I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. That's the promise we have from God. The Lord is going to come to us. He has never forsaken his people and he never will. 
When Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego were thrown into the fiery furnace, they found the Lord was already there. When Daniel went into the lion's den, he found the Lord was already there. When the apostle Paul was in a, in a storm, the angel of the Lord was already there with him. So no matter what the path is that life leads you on, you will never go there alone. The Lord will be with you every, in every trial along every kilometre that you travel. He will not let you down. I'm certain of it. But let's move on a little bit further. We see God's peace, we see God's presence, and we see also God's power is seen in his providence. See, as, as God is moving in, in, in mighty supernatural power to deliver his servant from that prison, chains are falling off, doors are opening by themselves, and Peter is delivered from the prison. I believe that God is going to use whatever means are necessary to care for us as well in our prison experiences of life. So when you find yourself in a prison situation, you need to know that God can move and will move heaven and earth to care for you. He'll provide for your needs. And that's seen throughout the pages of the scripture. Remember the story of Elijah out in the desert? The ravens came and fed him. The widow in a little meal of oil, a little, little um, container of meal and oil, that didn't run out. I've already talked about the Hebrew lads in the, in the flames, Daniel in the den of lions. The children when they, of Israel, when they crossed the Red Sea, God was there. Afterwards, he provided manna and the water from the rock. Shoes that didn't wear out for 40 years. Remember the disciples in the storm? Jesus calmed that. Jesus fed the hungry multitudes. Mary, Martha and Lazarus raised from the dead. God was there. God was providing. God was sorting out the difficulties for them. And if he's going to do that for these folks in the scriptures, he's going to do what he has to do for us as well. And he will meet our needs. That is his promise. Let me open up the scripture for you and show you his promise indeed. In Matthew chapter 6. Verses 25 to 34, it's a great reading where Jesus tells us not to worry. Listen to what the words of Jesus are to each one of us. He says, therefore, I tell you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink, or about your body, what you will wear. Hey, in these days when you can't find toilet paper and anything like that, these are important words for us, aren't they? Is not life more important than food and the body more important than clothes? Look at the birds of the air. They do not sow or reap or store away in barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not more valuable than they? Who of you, by worrying, can add a single hour to his life? And why do you worry about clothes? See how the lilies of the field grow? They do not labor or spin. Yet I tell you that not even Solomon in all his splendor was dressed like one of these. If that is how God clothes the grass of the field, which is here today and tomorrow is thrown into the fire, will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? So do not worry, saying, What shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For the pagans run after all these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them. But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. Therefore, do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. How true that is. And that's just what Jesus is going to do. He's going to provide for us. We're going to go through a difficult time. No problem. The Lord is with us. We are not to worry. Well, let's move on a little bit further. God's power is also seen in his purposes here, because the Lord is using Peter's prison to teach 
Peter and the members of the church to place their trust in God and to leave matters in God's hands. These folks couldn't, they couldn't have delivered Peter, right? The, the people in the church, they couldn't have delivered him. They couldn't just raid the church. The Romans are guarding the, raid, sorry, raid the church, raid the jail because the Romans are guarding it. They did what they could though. They prayed. They prayed and God worked. That's something we can all do, isn't it? No matter where we are and what our situation. The prison experience taught them that God is greater than our needs and he is worthy of our faith. So as we pass through this life and as we move through the various troubles, trials and prisons, we probably will not always understand the reason or the purpose behind all we face. And that's why words like Romans 8.28 are so important. And we know, says the Apostle Paul, and we know that in all things God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. What's God working in? All things. Romans 8.18, I consider that your present sufferings are not worthy compared with the glory that will be revealed in us. That puts things into a context and a comparison, saying, okay, right now is difficult, but glory is coming. How good is that? 2 Corinthians 4.17 For our light and momentary troubles are achieving for us an eternal glory that far outweighs them all. These are all verses that we can cling on to and they will help build us up in our faith in these times. So why does the Lord allow all these things into our lives? be honest with you, I can't answer that question. But I can say this. God does have a purpose for every prison he allows us to pass through. That purpose may be to grow us, it may be to help someone else. It may be simply to glorify the Lord. But he has a plan, he has a purpose, and he wants us to come to a place where we simply trust him for all we need and for all that we face. So it's interesting, though, to move on after what the bit that I just read. Because you'll notice something interesting that happens. Let me read some, some more verses for you. Uh, moving on to... Uh, now let me go back to verse 17. When, when they finally let... This is funny, you know. Peter's knocking at the door and they're saying, no, it's not him, it's not him. And then they finally do open the door. It must have taken a while. They finally open the door. Peter motions them with his hand, quiet. He describes how the Lord had brought him out of the prison. That's interesting because Peter is now giving glory to God, isn't he? He says, you shot, shush, be quiet. God has done something amazing. But notice what happens then in the next bit that I haven't read for you yet about Herod. Then Herod went from Judea to Caesarea, and he stayed there a while. He had been quarrelling with the people of Tyre and Sidon. They now joined together and sought an audience with him. Having secured the support of Blastus, a trusted personal servant of the king, they asked for peace because they depended on the king's country for their food and supply. On the appointed day, Herod, wearing his royal robes, sat on his throne and delivered a public address to the people. They shouted, This is the voice of a god, not of a man. Immediately, because Herod did not give praise to God, an angel of the Lord struck him down, and he was eaten by worms and died. Peter gave glory to God. Herod accepted glory for himself. He accepted the praise of men. He refused to give glory to God, and God kills Herod. And when the threat has been removed, look at verse 24. But the word of God continued to increase and spread. I'm excited by that. 
When all these dreadful things are happening, God is going to do what God has to do and the gospel is going to keep on growing no matter what happens. The gospel spread faster than ever before. It was increasing, it was spreading, and I believe that's what's going to happen now. Like I was saying to you guys earlier on, we are now entering into a new age for us as a congregation, for us as a church. We're no longer just ministering to one another. We now have the opportunity via digital means to minister to anyone who has access to the internet or to the DVDs or the CDs or the USB sticks that we're making. We can now minister all around the world from this little place. We are part of something very, very big. We've been asking the Lord to double our congregation. I believe the Lord's going to do more than that for us. Now, it might not be those meeting here in this building, but the church is more than this building. It's not about the building. It's about the people. And the people are going to be touched with the gospel and they're going to come into the kingdom and they're going to know Jesus as their Saviour and their Lord. The kingdom is growing and we are part of that. The gospel is going to increase as never before because there are pastors all around the world now facing the same situation, doing the same thing. Praise God. The gospel is going to spread faster than ever before. And that may be God's sole purpose for the prison. He may be using our prison experiences just as a means to glorify his name and to draw others to Jesus. The question is, are we willing to submit to God's purposes, even though we may not fully understand what is going on? So as I bring this to a conclusion today, I want to ask you a question. Are you in a prison of sorts today? Well, I reckon we are, aren't we? Are you in a place where you need to see the Lord flex his muscles and demonstrate his power in, his, in your life? Well, if that's so, we are invited to come before the throne of grace in our time of need and then we will receive help from the Lord himself would you join me in prayer Father thank you for your word your word seems ancient and yet it is so very relevant to the circumstances we face today Father thank you that we can come before you that we can turn to you and seek our deliverance that we can turn to you and seek provision and that we can turn to you and simply worship and say you are Lord God almighty creator of all things sustainer and our redeemer through Jesus our savior and our Lord father we give you thanks we give you praise answer the prayers of your people I pray may that be for your glory I ask in Jesus name amen